Having conquered the world with Queens of the Stone Age, Josh Holmes' next supergroup, Eagles of Empire. Fortified Niche. This game we got for free. We got the digital copies of Drillbook 1, Drillbook 2, and I think the upcoming campaign book. Uh, we also got the, the unit cards, basically everything we needed to, to, play, to play the game. So if you hear criticism uh, during this uh, podcast, it's us biting the hand that feeds us again. Yeah, fuck that uh, guy. Ha-ha! Plot twist. <laughs> and we're... And <laughs> what are you going to do it again? Hello there, honorable listener. This is Fortified Niche again, your uh, miniature wargaming podcast talking about the independent, unsung miniature wargame. This is me, your host, JC Dent, and I am joined again by my charming host, uh, Kasa. G'day. How's it going, Cobra? It's a little hot, but uh, since reading about the Legion's Imperialis news, I'm kind of hyped for miniature wargames. What's hobby on your end? I was in Sydney for SmashCon, an uh, anime manga convention, so it was a lot of cosplayers. A lot of friends. I was hanging with friends for like all weekend, basically, and bought lots of Gundams. Bought two huge Gundams, and I'm very excited to build them. They're just master grade MGs. Not perfect grades, because perfect grades are still slightly unaffordable, while work is not giving me any shifts. I'm going to assume that those are all from Unicorn Gundam, and they're slightly absurd and shiny. No, I don't like the unicorn unicorn ones. Um, I like the LED light up stuff, but the the psycho things, new type stuff, it just doesn't do it for me. Gundam says we've probably talked about this before. Are a fairly affordable hobby when it comes down to it. At least it wasn't when I was in Japan. Yeah. Um, if you're not married to like getting perfect grades, you can get a bunch of super deformed for like the cost of a space marine box. You can get a bunch of the thirty minute mission guys enough to have a pretty fun Lancer combat. Fuck, fucking! I'll find a game you can play using your gun and mechs for one day. I swear to God. Yeah, for like a hundred bucks, you can get like six dudes, eight dudes, which is one forty-four scale guys, and they all have like interchangeable weapons and arms and heads and legs. So you can like mash them up. It's pretty cool. I'm going to assume that's because of like Australian prices, because I remember in Japan them going like as cheap as like five bucks or something. Oh yeah, like um in Japan, the prices are like. Absurd, like five or three dollars. Even Australian prices for them, they're not too terrible. They're mostly just like straight conversions plus shipping fees rather than being adding a zero to the number and then import duties like some big companies like to do. My uh, export story was when I was in Japan and I, I asked hobbyist carrying Warhammer sh- stuff if I should, if I could order anything from Forge World and uh, the first thing he did was sh- shake his head because like the imports are crazy. Anywho, uh, talk. Uh, let's talk less about Australia and more about Austria because today we're discussing Eagles of Empire. Can we get back uh, to the Gundams because Gundams are pretty cool and like you know they robots. Robots are distinctively better than Musketeers. <laughs> Eagle, Gundam Eagle. podcast. Let's go. <laughs> Gundam podcast. Let's go. Well, once you write a rule set that employs all those Gundams that you buy. Because uh, Katza has been looking for a decent rule set like that recently, and I think he hasn't met uh, much success yet. No. All fan stuff. Sorry. Um, but Eagle of Empire is legitimately pretty neat. It has yeah, a bunch of uh, really, really cool stuff. Yeah, uh, it's a game uh, that's, I don't know, first of all, focused on the uh, 
Franco-Prussian War of, 18, of 1870, 1871. So it's a very short war, but it kind of uh, laid down the groundwork for all the bad stuff that was uh, to, to happen about uh, 40-ish uh, years later in World War One. A lot of people learned, uh, a lot of people learned some of the wrongest lessons they could have learned. I mean, there was a memory from uh, from this war that the modern war is going to be very bloody but very brief because like you know it lasted like less than a year and uh, the french shot up a lot of prussians but the prussians still won and then uh, you go to russian japanese war and, and then you find people learning from it that hey with enough if enough gumption your guys can bomb rush uh, mgs and eventually win even with atrocious casualties <laughs> and that's how you get world war one whoops we're mainly going to talk about our experiences with uh, playing the uh, scenarios or whatever. I'm not going to say provided in the main book because the way the game rules are set up and published is really weird because uh, it comes with it comes basically in two drill manuals, drill manual one and drill manual two. Drill manual two contains infantry combat rules, which is basically most of the rules you need for the game and a single historical scenario to get you started. The second book provides rules for artillery, cavalry, and I think veterans, which are like kind of, which are special unit attachments, almost yeah. like special weapons. I guess we'll keep keep our comments on this to like, you know, the compliment sandwich, so we have something to complain about more. But uh, the end effect of this is that it's not the most easy book to get into reading which is funny because this uh, split is made to make it easier for new gamers to get into the game which, which is again a little funny because you have to be a, a massive miniature wargaming pervert to get into like franco-prussian war in the first place and it's an interesting thought to come across like with bella ludi bella ludi has the point where like it's being sold to people as a team building exercise so it has by all reason and accounts it could be baby's first war game that could be a game you stumble upon because you've been told to do it because of work reasons um or you're encouraged to do it as him an exercise outside of work or anything else like you you can walk up to that organically and encounter it having never played another war game having no idea about the history of the setting or like anything at all about it you can't get this game you can't play this game without someone introducing it to you or you looking it up being interested in the period and wanting to explore further in the gaming sense, which I think is a really weird thing historicals have to like reconcile themselves with that you probably aren't going to be someone's first game and trying to be an onboarding game is really a strange goal to have because like it's a 75 euro Kickstarter. It was back in October and now it's its own little website. Like I can't find it in stores in Australia. I can't like even Etherworks isn't stocking it, and they're the kind of like the fulfillment crowd we have in Australia for it. So to present the game as like, well, it's too complex for normies to understand when cavalry work like infantry and artillery works like infantry and veterans work like infantry. It's really odd to me to sort of say, well, that game's too complicated. You can't handle it. You idiot. Yeah, I, I'd say that the game, like when you get to the rules, the game is, it's fast. It it takes some novel approaches you don't see in like, hmm. you know, uh, extremely grognardy military history type. Who's, uh, the main complexity of the game is navigating the rulebook because like the rest is like fairly easy. Basically everything you need to know about the unit is laid out on the unit card and 
anything you don't know, like special ability icons are are represented on the uh, quick reference sheet. So yeah, it's a fantastic quick reference sheet. Uh, to go to the basics of the game, it's, we believe, <laughs> alternating activations. And uh, once you activate a unit, it can move its movement speed and it can fire up to its uh, shooting ability, which is usually always basically expressed in a number of d6 die. Uh, you also have a melee value and a defense value. And one of the players rolls uh, rolls the shooting die and the other player rolls the defense die, which are actually almost always a fixed number. So like yeah, m most units shoot with 3d6, but they're uh, but hitting on like fours. And uh, most units roll defense on a 2d6. And again, hitting on fours, we'll get to more to that later. So there's always a chance that your unit is going to be hurt because just because the enemy player might roll three hits and you might only roll two saves. That's the gist of the game. It gets a little more complicated once you get into melee because once the attacker rolls attacks and the defender rolls their saves, access saves automatically become casualties for the attacker and then it's resolved however you want. That's the fighting part of the game in a nutshell, but... That's not the entire game because things get a little wild once you get to counting your uh, command points and buying reinforcements. Also VPs. Yeah. In a very um, Euro sort of board game sensibility where you are building an engine to score victory points or buy victory points. By buying victory points, you've got less points to power your engine, which I yeah. thought was really interesting and novel and a great way to represent like command and control of your army. Like as your army scores objectives, you get points, and those points can buy you more troops, or they can win you the game. And you need a balance or a thought or like to be aware of what you need to get to win the game. On a basic uh, scenario, you're going to have free capturable uh, strategic points, or uh, how, however you want to call them. You march up to them, you capture them, and you, tend, and you can then march off. And then in next turn, uh, those, uh, those capture points are going to give you command points. And command points can be spent in three ways. You can, uh, you can use them to buy reinforcements, which means like bringing in more units. You can use them to buy victory points, which is part of the, the point of the game. It's usually the first player to reach a set of victory point amount that wins. And the third way to use it is to spend it on the Doctrine cards to activate units, units or faction special abilities, which can be anything from gaining double movement to blasting someone with off-table artillery. So the tension there is where do you spend your resources? Because like the more you spend on reinforcements and the more you spend on abilities, the less you have, you get to buy victory points. But if you buy victory points, you give up some of the control you might have on the table. And uh, on the first test game we played, on the beginner scenario, Casa, Casa won basically because he invested heavily into victory points. And even though I held uh, two of the strategic points on the table, uh, I tried to play the game of like, well, I should buy more dudes uh, and I should use unit abilities, I still lost. So My daring yeah. French soldiers refused to die. And thank God for that. <laughs> yeah, the, the the French refused to die on that one. And one thing we noticed, like off the right off the bat, is that the game doesn't have explicit morale rules. They are tied, as far as I can see, to the uh, casualty and to hit uh, mechanic. Because a basic unit is a squad, and a squad has a strength of three. 
Those are represented by three bases of infantry. And once you fail a save, you remove one base. And the unit to hit and to save number depends on how many bases remain in the unit. So a, squ a healthy squad of three bases uh, shoots and defends on fours. Once you take one casualty, you shoot and defend on fives. And when, when there's only one base left, you, you only do that on sixes, which... I guess implies that it's a mixture of like guys actually getting shot and the disorder and guys running away and guys getting knocked out of the fight because like the, the fewer dudes you have, the less the, the other guys that are left around want to stick around and the less they want to shoot. And there's also an uh, implication from one of the unit abilities that some units have. It's, it's called veterancy. And this means that your shooting slash hitting number never degrades. So a squad of veterans that's reduced to a single base is still as effective, though slightly more vulnerable than a regular unit that's like, you know, full, full he fully healthy. It's not groundbreaking, but it does work very well. And it does sort of encourage you to sort of be mindful of what you want your guys to do because it's not reasonable to expect your single unit to survive a full section of shooting. We've got like two combined squads and an officer shooting like an understrength unit. You haven't got great chances of surviving or succeeding, even though they're only rolling like three plus six dice at you and you're rolling your defense. Like if they get three hits and you've got two stands, you're only rolling two defense dice. You can't survive that. Unless you're in cover, behind a wall, blah, 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 blah. Situationally, you can increase your chances, but realistically, they are being, you know, you've got to think about what you can expect your little guys to do. And sometimes what you expect your guys to do is just get brushed aside by the winds of fate and cannonballs. 1987 was a very, was by all means, a very bloody war. You had... Some of the first machine guns used in Europe, and the difference had because the French had their mitrailleurs, and also there was almost a video game disparity between the guns used because the French had, if I'm not mistaken, either the Dreyfus rifle, which outranged the needle rifles used by the Germans, and the needle rifle isn't something some fancy sci-fi technology. It's just the way the cartridge is ignited. That is mechanically represented in the game as well. The French can can quite easily outrange the um, Prussian forces yeah. to their detriment, but the Prussians have a variety of ways to close the gap, as it were. Um, yeah. You can't just sit back and shoot, you've got to go push forward and cross the 6x4 board diagonal to reach the objective of moving 6 inches a turn. You can't really stand still. The board size being recommended to be 6x4 eventually gave us some issue, especially in the uh, second scenario. Because, as far as we can understand, when you bring in reinforcements, you're still bringing, bringing them in at the deployment zone. The deployment zones are diagonally across the map from each other, and your guys can only move six inches. Unless you're a section, that means like two, two combined squad with an officer of Prussians that have Prussian tactics and thus can spend a single command point to move twice. Um, Long-time listeners remember that uh, Conquest sort of had a really fancy version of bringing reinforcements on from the side of the board as far forward as your skirmishes were. Um, or any less, any lighter unit could lead the way for heavy units. Um, this has not got that as far as we're aware. So you're always trundling in from your deployment, which can be a long way away, no matter how far you can shoot. This was extremely prominent in our second playtest where Casas French got to the French mitrailleuse and the uh, French cannon. And the French cannon only had 48 range. Uh, which was not enough to shoot at my guys. And you know how much cannon moves in this game? Two inches. The rounding error. 
Because it's a hand, hand, manhandled guns. It's like literally, I guess, the dudes on the base are supposed to represent the dudes pushing the cannon. When you move two inches, it takes you a long time to get where you want to go. I don't know how you overcome an obstacle like that unless we entirely misread the rule somewhere. That would be on brand for us to do that. Um, we've asked the devs and stuff, and we've, we get an answer before we post this. We'll obviously update it. Um, it's in the description. Uh, so check there for updates. Uh, another thing to mention is that you can't use doctrines on single uh, on single squads. You can only do that once you have a section. And the section is either bought together already, which means pay, paying like for two squads and you get the officer for free. Or uh, you join up two squads on the field and then one of those squads loses a base to become an officer, which means like, hey, if you had like two healthy squads of three dudes, you can get a section of like five dudes and an officer. An officer almost exists as an abstraction, but they are present as a miniature and they are lost as the last of the squads die. Because as the book says, the officer casualties in this war were atrocious. Speaking of reinforcements, the cost of units is also pretty similar. They seem to range from about two to three points, and most missions will also limit you to what you can buy. Well, I'm going to say that most missions are going to limit to what you can buy because that was something that was outlined in the starter and one of the campaign scenarios we played uh, said you don't even buy a reinforcement, you just get these, these turns, which is like more of a hardcore or all-timey feel. But since we got the uh, first campaign book to try out a lot of those missions don't say what guys you can take and what guys you can bring in as reinforcements which uh, was a bit troublesome to us because we can't say which french units are fit for the uh, french empire and which is which ones are fit for uh, the third french republic if i remember it correctly and th that's because that transformation took part during that very short war and since neither of us are like franco-prussian heads we can't say which units were fitting for which battle which was uh, which was fought it's I guess somewhat easier for the Prussian player because they have their big distinction is Bavaria and Prussia and they have different coloring on the unit cards so you can tell which belongs to which and you can I guess take them both because the Prussians being the ones who won the uh, German unification wars are uh, can even inspire Bavarian units to act better. Otherwise, the mainline German unit and the mainline ba Bavarian unit are identical. It's just that the Prussian tactics are different. Yeah, it seems like the more expensive units mostly have different special abilities outside of infantry and um, superior charge and firepower. No one really gets a... Oh, some will get better defenses. Like the numbers still in range like 4d6 charging or 3d6 defense and like costing five points is a lot of points. I guess it depends on how much you can fit inside your deployment zone because units do come in non-standard base sizes. It's really weird. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I think the game says that you can do whatever, but they are doing their basing based on a suggestion by some dude who's probably big in the uh, Grognard uh, war blogging sphere and so what you do is you, for a unit is you get two bases of like 40 inch diameter and they have like two guys per and then the third base will have three dudes uh so like you know one larger base and two smaller bases and that's your unit the the base the the, the actual number of guys on the bases or the base sizes doesn't matter because they only represent the strength points that you have for the unit 
the weird part was the cavalry being like a 60, a 50, and a 40 millimeter base with uh, 321 yeah. horsey bands on there, which is just unusual. Like, it's fine. It's the choice, the thing. Just read weirdly, just see it written out of the way. Like, unusual. Yeah. Not bad, just unusual. It was unusual. And cavalry is just, I mean, and artillery is just a base with dudes. Yeah, stuff is easy to read. The unit cards are great. They're very clear. Um, you have a bunch of different doctrinal cards as well that sort of give you powers, but you spend your sort of uh, victory points on and your ammo tokens that you can dig up. Ammo points are another like resource, but you gain it at least by the default scenario rules by holding, say, the central uh, loca- capture point location. And then they are used with some of the uh, doctrines. Like I mentioned before, artillery being uh, off table artillery being a thing, so Prussians have an ability to spend. Mm-hmm three points and then uh, an ammo token to blast a unit in line of sight with artillery, which can be pretty deadly, but I guess the emphasis is on can, because Mm. artillery in this game only hits on sixes, but also doesn't allow you to roll saves. So you might want to, like, you know, wait your options there. I think the one thought that's struck to my mind is... Obviously, in this era, they're sort of they're changing the way warfare is being fought like between this and the American Civil War. The pure firepower available for the common man is sort of outstripping anything you can do in hand to hand or like uh, marching across open fields. Like cavalry basically dies in this war. Um, they have one last glorious charge with it's like, well, who cares? When people die, just do it. So like everything has a charge value, but charging is only your movement rate, and you can never charge further than your movement rate. So you sort of I never want to charge people, and it's mechanically really hard to charge someone because you've got to get to within. Six inches, and why would they ever do that? Like, if the French can outrange the Prussians and Bavarians, why would you ever let them punch you? You really have to get smart about it to get within charge range. And uh, some units uh, have abilities that are, make them better in melee, but it's like, uh, in some cases, in some scenarios, it's unlikely to get into melee, into charge range in the first place let alone uh, bring in a full healthy section to, 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 to bear. So questionable use there. And definitely just sort of like, if you've got to push them off the objective and they don't want to leave because they can just stand there and shoot you from cover, well, maybe the best yeah. bet is to sort of walk section up and just get to punching. Yeah, that is the historical best use of melee in, uh, in yeah. like the age of rifle because sometimes it's really hard to dig, dig people out of cover and uh, that's when cold steel comes into play. Um, of of all the rules, we didn't really play with the uh, veterans, heroes, and generals. With generals being uh, mostly a campaign thing, because mm. the 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 third book, I think it's not yet released. It might be called. Uh, so the generals have their uh, campaign fueled uh, abilities. I guess their own tactics board. While heroes and and veterans are just are unit upgrades of uh, various power levels. Uh. It looks interesting. Like, what to suppose is kind of cool, because um, then it's just, like, the hero costs extra CPs, they give them an ability, um, and they can attach a unit to kind of like the um, the heroes in A Song of Ice and Fire, uh, which I thought was really interesting. Sort of like, just, you know, here's a sort of upgrade for one unit. It's a very special sergeant. And that seems to be the same case here, um, which is... Easy, simple, done. Like, pan up a special cover guy, has extra fancy, sort of, uh, it's useful. And I can see it being important more in, like, also all of their um, scenarios, which they have so many. Yeah, the campaigns as well. Because uh, you have to, like, unlock your, your commanders and your heroes, and sort of that to earn their points, and they can spend those points, and then it's like, 
something interesting. Um, yeah, they seem cool. They seem neat. I like the way they implemented as well because they're all just sort of like, I have a thing. It is one thing. So there's no yeah. emming and horroring about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, 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 they're fairly simple in things and things that they bring into the table. So they're easy to use. So that's, I guess, the overall sentiment of the rules. Uh, they're neat and we just wish they were laid out easier in a more logical sense with more editing. And, uh, and I guess this is the refrain we have in every episode. <laughs> It's honestly, the game is pretty clear. It's just sort of a few yeah. sticking points that's linguistically coming across for us. I definitely wrap uh, cavalry and artillery into the same book because, like, you know, the rules aren't hard for, for those things. Uh, you don't have to care about them too much. And also because the starter scenario has the Prussians use the Prussian tactics for their units. And two of the three tactics use mechanics that aren't covered in the first rule book that is uh, that is one of the uh, one of the prussian rules i think deals with having veterans attached and the third prussian rules deals with artillery which is only described in the uh, drill book 2 which deals with artillery so it's a little funny that way this game is probably uh, the hardest to talk about or the short, easiest and shortest to talk about when it comes to army building because there is none <laughs> and this the scenario says otherwise you can probably bring in any of the uh, French or the Prussian units you have and the enemy can bring in his and then you bring them onto the table based on how much points you have to spend and uh, you're not pre-gaming it you're you're playing and you're buying resources based on what's happening on the table it's really neat uh, it's really neat yeah. oh, so I'm interested to see how the um, further scenario books expand upon that um, because a lot of them seem to be predetermined, so there's not much space for you to be buying your units. But if you wanted to play sort of an ahistorical kind of like upfront skirmish game, that also seems very doable. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I, I'd love to see that guidance uh, because, like, sure, you can buy like your regular French line and the regular Prussian line, but uh, hey, what about the more exotic bits? Which part of the campaign fits the more exotic bits? And also going further, they do have the Eagles of Empire who sell their own miniatures. They do have a line for uh, Austria in 1866, and they also cover the first Schleswig War, which uh, means you can finally field some some of the Danes on the table, which is interesting because, as far as I understand, the developers are Danish, but at this point can only buy a single unit of Danish infantry. Maybe they, they intend to expand it later. The uh, Austrian line is a little more fleshed out. You have your uh, Hungarian line infantry, Austrian Jaegers, German line infantry, artillery, hussars. Two versions of hussars actually charging and skirmishing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, since it's like only four years from 1866 to 1870, the Prussians probably fit both. Yeah, I definitely find it's like I'm not as into the historical period as previously discussed on this podcast like it's not something but the mechanization mechanized slot of people isn't super interesting i do like the pageantry of it that's kind of neat but also austria i mean sorry france being it not germans man there's no skin in the game for that for me sorry <laughs> but like yeah like there's model building stuff there's 
heaps of crowds going for you. I don't exactly know if there's like heaps of models going out there in the industry if we're already talking about excuses to buy miniatures. But the the developers themselves uh, have, uh, I guess, fairly developed uh, lines for uh, like, you know, Franco-Prussian War. You get all the infantry and cavalry you want. For example, like you can get Bavarian line infantry and then Bavarian late war infantry, which is like, damn, man, that's like six months of war. How, how, how late are we talking about this? You can also get uh, special miniatures uh, for uh, Prussian heroes or generals and stuff. So if you want to, if you ever wanted to paint up uh, General von Bridau or however it's pronounced, uh, so that's your chance. You can even get flags for certain famous units like Prussian Kurazir, 7 Magdeburg flag. They did the last last successful cavalry charge of the Western Hemisphere that Cass alluded way at the uh, start of the podcast. The French can the French also have uh, wonderful unit flags for their units like 17th line uh, because at that point, at that point, flags seem to have been even fancier than they were in the uh, Napoleonic Wars, and they look absolutely lovely. Hmm, it's definitely a bunch of neat stuff to get into. Uh, there's no real limitation as well that I can see. Um, Victor could have some late Napoleonic stuff that I can imagine you could kit bash paid up to be pretty similar. If you don't agree that the Napoleonics can be painted up for. Uh to represent the guys uh, in Franco-Prussian war, uh, please address Casa in the comments and in the emails. Uh, tell him he is wrong. Yeah, mailbag at fortifiedniche.com. Send all yes, your yes, historical yes. Um, compliments and complaints. We'd love to hear them. All the hate mail. Yeah, it's fucking don't matter. There's also like the, the, the closest thing you can get to a starter deal is call, is a call to arm starter deal, which gives you 64 miniatures and the rule book for 100 pounds uh, that this will give you enough units to fight the uh, starter scenario we mentioned it's going to be fairly simple because it's just french line infantry versus prussian line infantry you'll have enough miniatures to produce two sections if my math holds up and also um, the uh, rule book and also you'll get the uh, main rule book yeah i like you want to play the game you're gonna need that at some point um, yeah, and I guess it's a good starter because, like, you know, Prussian line infantry and French line infantry are probably going to be useful in every scenario. And afterwards, you can go expand into Zouaves and other units I probably can't pronounce. Jaeger. Yeah, Perry's make some Franco Prussian stuff, put it minis per bag, it seems, which is two sections essentially, maybe three if you push it. And if any of, any of you know how to 3D model stuff, uh, start making Franco-Prussian miniatures for uh, Tabletop Simulator because the situation is dire and we had to sully ourselves with uh, Napoleonics that are still uh, ripped off, ripped away from, I guess, Empire Total War and uh, nothing new has uh, has entered the field in the uh, for the period. There are a lot more Perry guys than I expected. You mean a more Perry Perry? You mean that the Perry line is more extensive than you expected, or that yes. they sell more dudes per bag? It is much more extensive than I expected. I mean, Perrys are always a nice thing, and I guess when we are they plastic? I believe so. Jesus Christ, those guys! They look plastic. I'm looking at it. You can get to the thirty-eight dudes for twenty-two pounds, and it's going to be Franco-Prussian French infantry. Uh, 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 advancing guys to like oh boy 
Yeah. 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 Um, wow. I'm shook. And if any of my friends wanted to play Franco Prussian War, now I'd feel. <laughs> now I'd feel uh, compelled to do so. I wonder if you can. I wonder if you can pass off the American Civil War as, as Huawei as the French ones for, for the Franco-Prussian War. I'd have no problem with it. I couldn't explain the difference to you, but like, yeah, like Highlanders, American War, American War of Independence. There. Um, any excuse about Perry Minis? Let's be honest. Yeah. So basically, between Perry Miniatures and Eagles of Empire, available at eaglesofempire.com. Uh, you are well covered with options for your uh, Eagles of Empire games. I'm oh, sure maybe one or one or two guys online are also making 3D printable miniatures because sure are. because like you know not everyone can be making all Space Marines all the time. Uh, so yeah, yeah I mean decent ones going around. Um, pretty solid scobs, 20 millimeter scale um, on CG Trader and etc. And what you want to do? Plus, if you don't know anything about the uh, about the war, those are going to be fairly colorful armies because that's when the French still used their blue jacket and red pants combo, which is fairly insane when you think about it. But they did it, and and the Prussians will be looking classy in their black uniforms, and uh, Bavarians, at least judging by the Bavarian box illustrations in the like Eagles of Empire story, they started out blue, blue went black later on. So yeah, th those are going to be two striking, strikingly different uh, armies you can you can you know throw into the battlefield. And there's some great terrain floating around, FCL-wise and otherwise. Um, pick up MDF stuff. Every mission comes with like a preset board, but you can obviously tailor that to your taste and your terrain box. The only difficulty with the maps provided is that they're very much not to scale because. As the book says, one tree is one tree in this game. Like, you know, it's not abstracted. And so you have to imagine that maybe the units are also one guy is one guy. But once you start moving on the table or setting <laughs> or using the uh, battle map as the background for your table in Tabletop Simulator, you quickly see that. Uh, if it's one to one and you're going for a six by four table, it's 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 not great. So you know that's one thing that the developers can still uh, um, resolve uh, to make it better for us. But other than that, I think uh, I think you should be good. Like you know, like going back to it, I'd really love to get more guidance of what units are appropriate for which battle on which period. I mean, I haven't been. Getting Read into the book, you nerd. Buy five very heavy books with uh, with uh, hardcovers uh, that are strong enough to withstand three cats pulling at them at once. <laughs> I mean, yeah, fair enough. PDFs that solves everything. Yeah, P P PDFs. Cats can get cats can't scratch it if it's not physical. Um, moving on to that, it's a compliment sandwich. It's uh, the middle part is the eagle. Casa, why don't you start with your first compliment? Um, I mean, obviously, simplicity in games is always a huge thing. Um, but it's just the to spend your objective points as either more units or winning the game. It's very exciting. It's very cool. It's very neat. Uh, I'm not gonna. I can't say how novel it is, but it definitely works really well. It's a cool way to implement the stuff. And rewards you for doing well and encourages you to sort of step up and play better. Plus, if I remember correctly, you can actually sell victory points to get more command points. So this is like 
a game that makes you trade, like you know, you make trades, good or bad trades, all the time. I guess so. I love it every. I love it every time when that happens in a game. For me, I, I guess I, I, I guess I like the idea of not having the preset army and just buying it as you go. It, it, it feel, it feels novel for a game genre or something. The Grognar D scenarios, you don't expect it to be like that. You usually, as, as like I usually look at say Napoleonic games, it's, it's usually like, oh, I'm gonna bring a brigade of those guys. They're gonna have meticulously researched attachments of like heavy cavalry that will fuck off and not do what you want and this in this game which you would expect it to be even more grognardy because it's so niche it's like nah man it's uh it's a slice of the battlefield you're not the, you're not fighting the decisive uh, 100,000 guys action you are a snapshot of that action and your guys are going to hold maybe a particularly important terrain feature or yeah, hold a hill or like hills were super fucking important back in the day yeah and I yeah but like you know if you can see more than they can see and you can shoot further than they can shoot yeah that's uh, if you can put a gun back. on that hill it's even better hmm. so yeah yeah that 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 that's good i i i like the reinforcement uh, system i just wish they cribbed the conquests so one of the one of the good features of conquest of bringing in dudes already upwards the table to, to that be, honestly to, to feels like we've missed something because walking all that way forward is so far yeah yeah and yeah i guess like, you can i guess i guess at this point you can you can start talking about the first thing you did about that thing you didn't like about the rule set probably that having to walk your reinforcements on from your board edge when sometimes the objectives are diagonally away from you mostly it's movements but mostly it's that it's the incongruity in mission information and not being aware of how fast things should actually be going like if your guys have to move 36 inches in five turns and they can move six inches a turn and there's also and there's also woods and fields that cut down your movement by 50 percent yeah so sometimes you're moving three inches your your cannons moving two inches and then they can't shoot through things because they can't see through things so only your cavalry have a chance of getting there, and then when they get there, the entire army's, enemy army is like, "But what mission was to sit here and shoot you? So we're just gonna do that." And pew 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 pew, blam blam, Prussian steel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that thing that he mentioned is basically my complaint. I'll let you have the having to walk up there as your part, and I'll uh, and I'll claim the not having. Uh, not having the armies laid out for whichever mission or time period more appropriate. I'd love to see more guidance of what is appropriate where for which scenarios uh, or which like quote unquote time periods because sure you can do it yourself, you can do your own research, you can maybe go online and look into the battles itself, but yeah, I'd like to have more guidance. I, I liked it. I liked it that the uh, first scenario had guidance. It says like you have these guys as troops and these guys as reinforcements. Sure, that's yeah. the same troop at that point. But uh, like, hey, if 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 you plan the scenario that you can't start with like say cavalry to immediately bomb rush the objectives or something, uh, it, it would be uh, a lot nicer. That's also the interesting part of it because you don't have enough points at the start to buy the cavalry. You've got to go and earn it with infantry, and then they've got to move up and contribute. So you're sort of encouraged not to be buying more infantry because they're too slow to keep contributing late game. If you had that weird sort of 
engine being built up and your opening hand of infantry is being replaced by your later hands of like really cool cavalry, which is being ground up by the infantry you bought because why would you get rid of your infantry? Yeah, <laughs> I know, it's yeah. an interesting dichotomy and choice to make. That if the objective is across the board, then walking won't get you there. Yeah, because that scenario was essentially an objective. That scenario had an objective, a chateau that was near my deployment zone, which was uh, trivial for me to uh, fortify with troops in only like one or two turns of movement. <laughs> and then I had absolutely no reason to move anywhere from that location. It's it's my objective. I have to hold it to, to turn eight. And Casa has to advance onto that fortified position, face my fire, which is only somewhat alleviated by the fact that uh, the Prussian guns don't outrage the French ones, although Prussian artillery does. Yeah, and secret second complaint. Like, that's also... Why is there so many turns of walking up to the point? Like, honestly, not every mission is this, but the missions that are. If the interesting part is that last six inches, why don't we start eight inches apart so we're getting into the the, the good feeling part of the game immediately because you want any points from the objective points you want scoring things i'm not encouraged to move there faster um, yeah and i can't marshal my forces at the point to sort of really bring them to bear on you yeah so i'm just drip feeding guys across the board who are getting shot up by your combined sections and it's like yeah. are, is every mission like this <laughs> it's bad yeah Sucks. yeah uh, it's like Either conquest reinforcements or uh, jump off points. Welcome yeah. to the chain of command again. Spend points to get in a respawn section or move on from objectives you conquered and captured and held. Yeah, 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 yeah. So give me yeah. a flank speed, a walk, a marching speed. Yes. Or um, I can't say that just give me a road speed because roads aren't always present. But yeah, something has to be there. So uh, back to the good points. Uh, uh, what would be what would be the second part of your uh, tasty, tasty, uh, gluten enriched uh, compliment, bread slice? Maybe it's more of a hot dog. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, go on. I mean, just like one good thing, one bad thing. Um, the other good thing would be like I just I really enjoy these unit stat cards for how simple they are. Just saying, like, hey, here's everything we can do. It's all at a glance. Um, ideally, I'd see the back of the cards explaining what the special abilities were, because after a few games, you get to use for it, but having a picture of the logo of the game on the back isn't super useful, whereas telling me what the abilities were each time would be super useful, and that's like a... I can sharpie that on myself, or just fan edit the cards. Yeah, because <clears throat> the unit special abilities are universal, and they, as they are explained on the quick reaction sheets, the explanations aren't that long, and you can always look, I guess, at the full explanation in the book. But having those uh, those simple unit uh, abilities explained on the card itself would be really helpful. But even aside from that, between the quick re- quick reference sheet and the cards, the game is easy to reference for stuff you really need. For my compliment, I guess I can't choose the period itself. Would be a little would be a little strange, but I mean, if you feel like it's underrepresented, it's a fair point. Like it's doing something different and unique and new to you. Like that's I get that. Well, okay, okay, I'm going to say that it is attractive. It 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 it. it I feel like in gaming, the last last part, later half of uh, 19th century is underrepresented because you either get American Civil War and you get so much of it. Oh my God, can we get? 
less of American civil war. Jesus Christ, did, uh, did other people not have civil wars at that point? And the, the rule set, I think, is set up for those uh, later periods of uh, intense warfare where, uh, say, in Europe, having the rail lines to deliver massive reinforcements matter mm. than most else. And I feel like it could be used for uh, other wars that already have, like, plastic uh, ranges from, uh, from, say, Paris, like, you know, the British Imperial Adventures at that time, the Boer, the Boer Wars, uh, Afghanistan, I guess, was also at that uh, at that time, and I'm sure other countries were getting up uh, were getting up to so, some nonsense. People were killing each other all over the world, pretty much constantly. Yes, yeah. But also, the so, setting, the system mechanically works so well that I, I can't imagine you couldn't make it like um, Eagles of the Eastern Empire and do the Franco-Japanese War of 1904. Like mechanically, it's the same. If your cards just be like. The one boat that still works is going to shoot you now instead of moving yeah. um, faster, and that could be like neat. That could be something different, like expansions for the. It has legs. I do feel like mechanically, simplistically, basically, apart from our complaint with um, reinforcements, everything about the game works really well. It's really quite interesting. Yeah, it's really really neat, actually, even, um, and it's yeah, doing stuff uh, that most games aren't doing, which is cool. Yeah, I like how you choose the tactics that you're, I mean, the doctrine card that you're going to use as you buy the unit. So, like, you don't yeah. have to stick with the, with the same the, with the same Prussian tactics card every time you buy a Prussian unit because Prussian units have more tactics than that. And some of, some of those tactics are more tailored to, the, to, the, to, to a specific section, like French have... Uh, stuff that's uh, that uh, empowers uh, the guard mobile or uh, like the imperial guard but also some of them are more generic and yeah so i i i'd love to see, i'd love to see it go uh, to more places it's good that it's going to it's good that it's going in europe it's good that it's peeking into the first schleswig war and stuff it's interesting because it's it's almost like a blind spot, I feel, in wargaming, and especially in uh, wargaming at the scale where <laughs> one tree is one tree and one bridge is, a one, is one bridge. Uh, and I'd love to see more of uh, both uh, the setting and more of the uh, miniatures. Yeah, and like if, if they won't do it, it wouldn't be hard to brute shop yourself into... Yes. Like... As long as they provide us with the rules and, uh, and that, we can probably find a way to, uh, find a way to play it. So uh, that was the sandwich, and those were the uh, miniature excuses. Yeah. So, Casa, would you play Eagles of Empire? Um, I'm not sure. I think it's interesting enough to be worth playing again. I don't have the money at all to be buying any new game, so it would be like a standees situation. Um, but. Yeah, the games. Oh, yeah, like I said, yeah. I, I really dig the um, the engine booting with capturing objectives to get you points. Yeah, you mentioned standees, and I remember that Wolfen games. What you got? Uh, yeah, that are making. I <laughs> uh, I haven't got them, <laughs> but they do make uh, they do make packs for Franco-Prussian War. Like obviously, support Eagles Empire creators. Their, their sculpts are pretty cool. There's no argument yeah. that. But like, in my point in my time, um, I could see this, and it it does play so simply. You could do it as an intro game to historicals as well. Yeah, people can be like, hey, you know, this is not every game is pulled buckets of D6s with 13 operations where only one result matters and then nothing really of relevance ever happens to you. Uh, like saying, hey, a better way is possible. 
yeah the, not every game has rule books that look a little more boring than the u.s field manuals you can find online because uh, like they put some some effort into uh, uh yeah it looks nice the, the books are all laid out it's like dual it, columns but there's lots of pictures lots of pictures yeah, they're um, using a lot of the great art that was produced in this uh, war that was really decisive for two of the biggest countries, I guess, in Europe at that point. Yeah. So, yeah, I, it would be it would be an interesting historical entry point in games. And given chance or given money, I think I'd I'd I think I'd play it. It's very strange because I never felt the need to collect the guys from that period. And but they have. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, they 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 just look so cool. Those uniforms aren't like beige nonsense yet, and they are already moving away from. They they have already moved away from Napoleonic accent. Ac- yeah, ac- like the Jaegers so. and the Zoos are already like approaching um, contemporary stuff. Like you see in the American Civil War, but this is getting much further. Like not not camouflage, but trying yeah. to not be a bright single monocolor target yeah 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 the hats are getting a little more sensible uh artillery is really is is really really coming into play so yeah because i mean i'd play the game simply on the fact that the rules seem neat and if they if they solve that whole marching up the board issue it would play really fast uh fast and uh, and fun it makes also the scenario design like if you were deploying along with the whole edge walking forward isn't an issue, but to see how they go with it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Also, to cut this into the start of the episode, we got this game for free to check it out, review it, with no consideration or guidelines for what our thoughts would be. Just yeah. here is four hundred books, pictures as PDFs, images, go nuts. Yeah. And we yeah, have yeah, so yeah. we should how they need to start before we get into it? Because we're always like, hey, by the way, guys, we paid nothing for this. So uh, this has been another exciting and uh, exciting episode of Fortified Niche. It's, uh, it's always fun how I made this uh, I made this podcast as an excuse for us to discover even more niche games we wouldn't usually get into and then rant about them to an audience of, of fun, cool people. And uh, we hope to return in two weeks with another interesting game. Hopefully another game we'll be surprised by how much we want to play afterwards. <laughs> yes. Th- those episodes where you start appreciating the game even more as you talk about it and by yeah. the end of it is like you, everyone should play it. It's your civic duty Check uh, it out. as a human being to play it. Yeah. So yeah, uh, I have been JC Dent and your co-host has been the ever fun Casa. Bye. Bye everyone. Check out the links in the description. Bye.